I'm Adam Munster-Tiger, the publisher of BuffStampede.com. I'm Brian Howell, a beat writer for BuffZone.com. Brian, it's good to, to catch up uh, during the football season. Obviously, we spend a ton of time together. Haven't seen you much, but there's been a lot of news with CU football, a lot to talk about. Yeah, I, I think both of us have been uh, working in our basements, uh, <laughs> you know, alone for the last month and a half or so. But there's been so much going on, and which typically is the case after the season, but probably more so now, uh, you know, just with all the coaching changes, but then also the transfer portal. You know, there's more news, I think, in the first month or two of the offseason now than maybe uh, I know probably in the 12 years I've covered this team. How about for you? Unquestionably, and it's certainly been a roller coaster. And the pessimistic person will say, well, what are the ups? Well, I would say there, the, the staff changes. I think generally, at least on paper, it looks mm-hmm. like this is a better coaching staff right. than the Buffs have really had in a long, long time. It, it, you have to go back quite a ways, I think, in terms of what this staff looks like. But then the losses, we'll get into you know, a lot of these individual guys. It's not one particular piece of attrition that hurts. I think it's kind of the collective when you look at right. – the starters leaving, and I think the number's 22 now. Most of that's good attrition. Right. Yeah, I agree. Are you more or less encouraged about the future of the Buffs under Carl Drell, given what we've seen since that Utah game? I, I'm more encouraged, and uh, you know, I know that that's not the, the basic tone of the fan base, uh, you know, at least the vocal fan base that we see on social media and the message boards, but... Um, you know, I go back to one thing that he said when uh, Rick George and Carl Durrell met with us a couple weeks ago. And, uh, you know, Carl Durrell said, hey, we went 4-8. and eight. I didn't like that. And if I don't make changes, he was, if I stand pat, that's not the way to do things. And that was the one thing that I kept hearing from the fan base, you know, towards the end of the season and right after the season was, if he doesn't make any changes, then he doesn't care. He's obviously caring, <laughs> you know, and he made a ton of changes. I mean, you change 60% of your uh, full-time coaching staff, that's massive turnover in, in one offseason. And that, if I'm a CU fan, that should tell me this guy cares and wants to change this. And whether you like the change or not, whether they work or not, we'll find out. But he's willing to put in, you know, make tough changes and, and say, hey, I need to fix what's going on here. And he's put in that effort. And when he took over, he – Main, he retains some assistance. The guy that, that sticks around is Darian Hagan, and, and yeah. rightfully so. I, I know that Jarek Broussard leaving that room hurts, but that's one room you really have never worried about. Uh, but aside from that, Darrell has made pretty much every other change within the staff, even strength and conditioning last offseason. So yeah. this is really his program now. Yeah, and I, I think that this coming year is the first year we're going to see that, you know, and you know, as you and I both know, when he's first hired, he comes in late, right? Uh, and, you know, I think you and I have talked about it on the side, but what are the three most important hires for, you know, a head coach? It's probably offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, and strength coach, and you might even put strength coach number one, right? Those three positions were, um, I don't want to say forced upon him, but they were encouraged to keep these guys right now. That was Drew Wilson, Tyson Summers, Darren Cheverini, for continuity's sake. So Darrell keeps all three of those guys for that first year. Um, they're all gone now. You know, after that first year, they get rid of Tyson Summers. Uh, they move on from Drew Wilson. And now this offseason, they move on from uh, Darren Chivarini. Um, I feel like they upgraded, you know, strength coach and defensive coordinator this last offseason. Uh, we'll see if they did with offensive coordinator. But, you know, he's finally putting his staff together. I think we're really going to see Carl Darrell's stamp more so in 2022 than we have up to this point so far. Whenever we talk to Carl Durrell, 
he says basically 2020 didn't count, right? He probably should own that more than he does because right. <laughs> they won four of their six games that year. But right. he basically says that's a throwaway season. The, the thing that he really liked about this team this past season was the fight, and he felt like the identity of this program was getting created. How much do all these defections hurt in that sense of that continuity that you're trying to build? Well, I think it helps. You know, I think that when you're trying to build that continuity and the, you know, build your identity as a program, you know, you've got to have guys that are buying into that. And I think that what we're seeing is maybe guys that aren't bought into that are leaving. And uh, as you're trying to build a program, as much as it hurts to see some of these big names leave, I think that's probably a good thing if you're you know this coaching staff to in this program. You know, you don't want to see the talent leave, but if guys aren't bought in, it's important for them to move on. It's a lot of talent leaving, though. It is. And, and it's on them to now go replace that talent, right, yeah. and, re- and recruit better talent. But um, I, I just think it, it's great to have the talent, but if that talent is not fully bought in, does it help you that much? You know, would you rather have a guy that's a little less talented but fully bought in or a guy that's more talented and not bought in? You know, I'd probably have, rather have the guy that's fully bought in. Well, with where CU is right now, at some point – we got to stop talking about limiting your expectations, but yeah. it is what it is right now. How, how much does each of these defections hurt? Let's start with Brendan Rice and Dimitri Stanley, those receivers. R.J. Sneeds comes in, so he kind of replaces one of those guys. But there, And there's some young guys in the program at receiver that you like. Chase Penry was kind of leading that recommitment to Colorado, and you yeah. saw a, lot, a bunch of the players – you quote tweeting that saying, "Hey, I'm I'm bought in too." Yeah, I didn't expect Chase Penry to to be the the guy leading that charge, and, and he made some good plays last year. It looks like he has a bright future. Uh, what, what do you think about that receiver room as we look ahead to this upcoming season? You know, I still like that receiver room, and uh, Brendan Rice is very talented. I like Dimitri Stanley. Um, Dimitri is actually one of my favorite guys on the team to talk to. Uh, you know, I think he's talented as well. Um, I think they're going to miss those guys. But, you know, I look at that receiver room, and I'm honestly very excited about Montana Lamonius Craig. Um, I know you've been on the bandwagon yeah. uh, there. You've been kind of driving that bandwagon for a long time. Um, I'm fully on there with you. I mean, I, I feel like he's a potential number one receiver. I love his, his talent. I think R.J. Sneed comes in, um, is a pretty good replacement for Brendan Rice. You still have, I mean, you have Maurice Bell coming back from injury. Uh, you know, Daniel Arias had his best year last year. Uh, I know he wasn't, you know, a superstar, but he had his best year. If he improves, that's a nice addition or a nice uh, bonus right there. Jalen Jackson, you hope he's back and healthy. Uh, Chase Penry, I mean, there's some good young talent in the receiver room. So I think they're okay. I mean, to me, the bigger deal is, you know, what you have at quarterback. And if you have better quarterback play, that receiver room looks better. So. Um, as much as it hurts to lose Brendan Rice and Dimitri Stanley, I still think that position's stacked. And that's a group, same with running back, that Jerick Broussard didn't lose his talent last year. We saw him, remember that open scrimmage, the, the same one where Shroud got injured. Broussard's first two carries, he goes for over 100 yards on those two carries. He didn't lose the talent, but when you don't have quarterback play playing consistently and your O-line struggling – at both receiver and, and running back, it doesn't really matter, right? So right. those are the two areas that, that you got to get better at for that talent of those two, two groups to even show. Yeah, you know, and, you know, Jarek is probably, you know, I would list him as one of the, the ones that hurts the most. But, you know, I, I think that if your line's better, if you got better quarterback play, then I'm totally fine with a Alex Fontenot, Deion Smith duo. I think that that, 
if you're leading the way with that with that group, that's a pretty good duo. And then I imagine that they're going to add somebody in the transfer portal because you they can't, have to because you can't go yeah. with four scholarship running backs and one of them's a true freshman, one of them's a fullback that you didn't even want to get on the field last year. So um, they have to, but um, it, it hurts to lose Jarek. But you know, I think that he's a guy that, based on what I've seen from him and. I don't want to you know, put words in his mouth, but he doesn't look like he was fully bought in by the end. And I know he was frustrated last year. Frustration doesn't mean you're not fully bought in, but you know, he's a guy that I think that if he's not fully bought in, I'm fine with Alex Fontenot, Deion Smith. As long as that, I mean, it all comes down to the O-line anyway, like you said, right? If you're not blocking, who cares who's running the ball? That is a position where guys get hurt, though. So you right. definitely need to bolster that group. You got Victor Venn coming in. Mm-hmm. They did host Andrew Paul, a running back recruit from Dallas that really blew up during his senior year. But he's now got Michigan after him. He's got Clemson that, that offered him a scholarship. I don't know if CU still has a, a strong chance to get him. They felt really good about getting him after his official visit in December. Yeah, That is a guy you could say, hey, if you commit to us, we won't go to the portal, and you'll have a chance to compete for that starting job from day one. I don't know how that's going to tra- transpire with Andrew Paul here. He's going to wait until close to that regular signing period, which is coming up. But uh, that is a position, if you could get a guy like Andrew Paul from high school, that would be fine. That's a position guys can come in and play pretty early. Yeah, and, and we've seen that, right? And, you know, Victor Venn is a guy that, uh, you know, I had a staff member tell me, we think Victor's got the same type of skill set as Jarek Broussard. Now, Jarek had a pretty good year in 2020, so we'll see if Victor Venn has that same type of production, but they, they view him as having the same type of skill set. Like they, they replaced Jarek with Victor Venn. So, um, you know, he's unproven, but you're right. If you can get an Andrew Paul, if you can get somebody from the portal, if Andrew Paul doesn't work out, you get somebody from the portal, uh, that's a position you can bring somebody in and they can, they can be productive right away. We mentioned Brandon Rice, Dimitri Stanley, Jarek Broussard. The other guys that I would look at as clear-cut bad attrition would be Christian Gonzalez leaving, Makai Blackman leaving. And I know some fans are on the fence about Mark Perry, but I still consider him leaving as bad attrition just in the sense that this is a guy you invested a lot of time into developing. And I know he still was not a perfect player towards the end of this past season, but he had at least developed into a playmaker. And that was the main criticism criticism of him in 2020. Yeah. You know, I actually, you know, if I list the, the, the defections that hurt the most, I actually list Mark Perry second because of more than anything, the depth of safety, you know, I think you need him there because of that depth of that safety, um, there's not a whole lot there. You have Isaiah Lewis coming back, but, you know, beyond that, it's, you know, you got a bunch of kids that uh, were true freshmen this last year, one of which Tyron Taylor, you know, came in as a corner. He can play both. I'm not sure exactly where he'll be. I guess right now you kind of need him at safety right now. You kind of need him at safety right now. So that's why I think Mark Perry might hurt the most um, as opposed, you know, right behind Christian Gonzalez. But um, I think Mark was coming on strong. You know, he, he started to make some plays. He led the team in interceptions last year. Uh, he had a he had a big one in the Utah game that kind of set them up early and, uh, you know, kind of gave them a fighting chance early in that game. So um, I think he's second, the second most hurtful defection behind Christian Gonzalez. With these guys leaving the program, I think you look to Trevor Woods as probably being a starter, depending yep. on what you maybe get from the transfer portal. And then at corner, Nico Reed is probably pretty much a lock to start now, right? If you were to talk about guys that are going to be starting in 2022 following those defections? Yeah, I would think so. I mean, 
Nigel Bethel, probably. Nigel Bethel. Um, you know, Nigel was playing very well um, in that uh, kind of slot position, that third corner position before he got hurt. So I'm excited to see what he does. Uh, Jalen Stryker is, is still there, um, but he's been hurt a lot. So we haven't really seen him. You know, he's a guy that I think could push for a starting job, but if I, if I had to pencil in right now, I'd probably go Nigel Bethel and Nico Reed on the, as those two corners. And Keelan Moore played some uh, as a true freshman as yep. well. You bring in a couple early enrollees there in Joshua Wiggins and, and Jason Oliver. Look, some of these defections hurt, but how much they hurt, it can be mitigated by bringing in guys from the portal. Yeah. And we've seen a little bit of that. There's still quite a bit of pressure on this coaching staff when that next surge of guys comes into the portal following spring ball. They've got to get, if they don't land Andrew Paul, they've got to get a running back yep. or two, maybe two. Right. They've got to bring in a couple safeties. You probably need help maybe on the D-line. It kind of depends on how much – they have a lot of edge guys on scholarship in their program. Are some of those guys like a Chance Main coming in that's got a big body? Is he going to play with his hand in the dirt? Numbers-wise, you might actually be okay there if you're going to put some of those edge guys in more of a traditional defensive end role. Yeah. Where, where else do you see kind of the, the needs within this program? Yeah, I, I think a defensive line, um, just going off that, I mean, I think they're okay at defensive line right now. I think that I would put that near the bottom of their wish list, on my opinion, um, as long as you don't lose to Terrence Lang, um, which it sounds like uh, there may have been some hedging whether he would stay or not, but he, that it sounds like he might be staying. But, you know, with Janaz Jordan coming back, Lang, uh, Jalen Sami, Naeem Rodman. Uh, there's a couple of freshmen from last year, Tyus Martin and Ryan Williams, who, you know, I heard a lot of you know good things about last year. A year older, you know, I think that they can help the depth there. So, um, you know, I put number one for me is uh, offensive line. You've got to get another offensive lineman to me. Uh, you need safety help, like you said, um, and then running back. I think those are probably the three positions that I would prioritize if I'm CU. And you might need two two more linemen. I mean, you've got Tommy Brown, but would you want two more? You know, uh, would one more do it? You know, you've got a couple starters back, but um, you know, I might, I might try to look for a tackle or two. Yeah. What about inside linebacker? From what I've heard, that's not a priority from the, for them with the portal. You do have Quinn Perry coming back. I know he's kind of a polarizing guy. Yeah. He's not the fastest guy out there, but generally fairly solid this past season. He's got a lot of experience. Robert Barnes got in the field more. Jack Lamb got in the field more late in the season. Start, started to see Marvin Ham finally get some playing time. But to me, what the portal would kind of depend on is Isaac Hurtado, the, the late Juco signing. Does he come in this spring and show that he could be yeah. a guy you could put on the field? If not, then you probably need to bring in an inside backer too, right? Yeah, and also, you know, what's the development of like a Mr. Williams? You know, uh, how, how does he look at this point? So, um, you know, Quinn Perry, I look at, he's a little bit quicker version of Rick Gamboa. Uh, maybe not the, I mean, Rick's strong suit was he knew everything, right? Um, he had the mental thing, mental aspect that Nate Lamon developed, but he didn't have quite the the speed. Um, I I think Quinn Perry's fine right there, and you know Robert Barnes. Uh, you know, I, I chat. I did a story recently because you know everybody, everybody saw the tweet where he dedicated the season to yeah. Coach Smith because yeah. of uh, losing his home. And uh, you know, I kind of joke with with Smith and Barnes. I'm like, you're kind of under pressure now. I mean, you can't you can't dedicate the season and play poorly. You know, <laughs> um, so kind of joke with them. But he knows. Uh, 
you know, hey, this is a big year for him. And, you know, I think that that's a guy that probably gained some confidence in, in getting some playing time towards the end of the year. They were happy with how he played towards the end of the year. And Jack Lamb was playing better, too. So I think he got three good veterans right there. And as long as some of those younger guys, Marvin Ham, we've been kind of waiting for him for a while uh, to be that guy. And, and if he's that guy, if you got three, four guys right there, I think you're okay. There were some growing pains with some of those guys this past yes, year, though. Yes, there were. I mean, that's a question mark position. I, I don't think mm-hmm. you go into this upcoming season feeling great about that group until they, they kind of prove that they can somewhat replace what Nate Lambin brought. Yes, but I, I think depth-wise, you've got enough guys there. And that's where I think, you know, at this point you're running out of spots to fill. Uh, and that's where I would prioritize some of those other spots. Like, you can go into this season with, you know, seven inside linebackers that got projected right now. You can't go into the season with four running backs, you know, and you probably can't go into the season with the safety group that you have right now. Uh, you need one or, you know, one or two there. And then offensive line, uh, it's 13 right now. That's a, that's a low number. I mean, you typically see, what, 15, 16 on offensive line? Yeah. So they're, they're currently sitting at 13. Uh, those are low numbers. That's where I prioritize those ahead of inside linebacker. What about uh, Josh Watts? Is that bad attrition? I mean, you bring in a kid on scholarship, you kind of don't have a choice but to move on there. Yeah, yeah. That's a tough one. I mean, some of these moves, and and I put the Watts move in this category, I look at sort of like NFL moves, right, where sometimes you see like the Broncos. You know, it's tough to move on from a Champ Bailey who's, who's been really good. But, you know, he costs a lot of money, and you've got some younger corners that are coming in. You know, a Josh Watts doesn't cost money, you know, in theory. <laughs> doesn't cost money, but he costs you a scholarship position, and you got a younger guy coming in. Um, it's sort of a, you know, cutting a veteran player in the NFL. That's what this Josh Watts move is to me, is you can't have two scholarship punters. And if you're going to add it, add it running back in an offensive line, you can't have two punters, you know. Um, and they didn't – from the time they brought Josh Watts in, and it wasn't even this staff, Nobody ever thought they would have Josh Watts in 2022 anyway. And it's the NCAA that said, here, you can have an extra year of Josh Watts and see. He was like, well, no, we can't do that. <laughs> you know, and you've put Ashton Logan off long enough. I mean, he yeah. was supposed to come in last year. You gray-shirted him. You, you can't make him sit another year. Assuming Miami doesn't try to poach Rod Chance, it appears that their coaching staff, at least in terms of the assistant coaches, is set for 2022. Let's react a little bit to these coaching hires, Brian, especially the most recent announcement with Phil McGagan, I believe is the way you pronounce his name. At least that's the, the way that I assume based on the press release how you pronounce his name. Uh, we talked earlier about really liking this staff overall. Uh, what, what are just your thoughts? Which of these guys really stands out when you look at these, these hires? Yeah, I think it's uh, – I think – you know, Carl Drills had a pretty good offseason as far as making the hires. I know that uh, you know Mike Sanford uh, was not a popular choice. Um, every single other uh, coach he's hired, uh, the reaction from the fan base has been uh, pretty positive. Um, and I don't necessarily think the Sanford hire is a bad one. Uh, it just didn't uh, excite a lot of people. But uh, when I look at this staff, the one that probably um, might get me the most excited is Vic Soto. You know, and this is a guy that came from USC. Um, they like him enough that they're willing to move Chris Wilson, who's a pretty good defensive line coach, to coaching a different position. And, uh, and really they kind of chose between Vic Ciotto and like Brian Michalowski, who's done a pretty good job. So there's something they like about Vic uh, that they're bringing in here. And so he's, he might be the guy that I'm most looking forward to seeing on this, uh, on this coaching staff. 
I've reached out to my counterparts on 24-7 Sports just to get more insight into all these guys. And like you mentioned, the Mike Sanford hire was received with some negativity. I mean, this is a guy that got fired by Minnesota. And talking with our Minnesota guy, he talked about, hey, you know, they did not have much of a passing game under him. But how much of that is P.J. Fleck? Because based on Carl Durrell's comments to us in terms of why he hired Mike Sanford, he said, you know, a lot of that criticism is more on – the system they run there at Minnesota than it should be on Mike Sanford himself. Yeah, that's such an interesting hire because, you know, you and I have talked about it. It's such a polarizing hire, right? And uh, it wasn't too long ago that he was, like, on those lists of, like, hot coordinators under 40, things like that. Uh, the day that it was announced he was hired, I had a national um, college football writer, and I won't, I'm not going to say who it is. He sent me a message out of the blue. He says, you're going to really like Mike Sanford. You know, he's a great guy but he truly is one of the worst offensive coordinators in Power 5 football. And I was like, great, <laughs> that's fantastic. Uh, uh, he, I put some numbers together and I wrote about it you know, when he was first hired. Uh, the last six offenses that he is, uh, he's been over have scored fewer points than the year before. You know, he's, uh, Carl Durrell mentioned that he likes the way he's worked with NFL quarterbacks, but those guys have gotten worse under Mike Sanford. Uh, you, know, uh, you look at like... Uh, I'm blanking on the names right now. Um, Jordan Love, right? He goes to Utah State, had a, a massive year. He gets with Mike Stan- Sanford and struggles. You know, uh, the, who's the guy that plays for the Jets now that he had at Western Kentucky? Um, White? I think it's White. Um, I'm blanking on the name, Adam, but <laughs> um, he was fantastic, and they had like the number one offense in the country. And then Sanford gets in there, and he put up some numbers, but not quite like the year before. And the offense wasn't as good. So uh, we've seen, and you know, Tanner Morgan at uh, Minnesota had a huge year, and then Mike Sanford comes in. He struggled ever since. So some of those don't look good. But I think that I, what I go back to is when we talked to Carl Durrell a couple weeks ago, and I asked the question. I said, "Is this a case where Mike Sanford's a better fit for you than Darren Chivarini was?" And he said, "Yes." And I think that matters. I think. Um, maybe Mike Sanford didn't mesh well with P.J. Fleck. But at least philosophically, it sounds like he and Carl Durrell are on the same page, and that can be huge. So just because he's maybe had some disappointing results at other places doesn't mean he can't succeed here, I guess. You know, I, I think he's still a young coach that uh, can have success. The good thing for Mike Sanford, too, is that it can't get any worse, right? Right. Well, and, that, and that's the thing is this national writer, he says every offense that, he's, uh, that he goes to becomes a train wreck. And I wrote back and I said, well, the good thing for him is the CU offense is already a train wreck. So, you know, he can't, uh, you know, create a train wreck here. You, you can only improve it. He's brought some good energy with him to recruiting. And yeah. I, I know that activity on Twitter doesn't always reflect exactly how much work these guys are doing, but... That was one area when Darren Chevarini was focused on recruiting, and that was what he was known for mm-hmm. before, I don't know, would you say probably the last couple years, really ever since Carl Durrell took over, Darren Chevarini didn't have quite that cachet with recruiting that he did early on. Right. But that stuff does matter. Perception is reality at times, especially in, in this new age of college football. Right. And having a guy like Mike Sanford and some of these new assistants that are showing that energy with them and recruiting, uh, even if it is just a few tweets here and there, it, it does matter. It matters. And, you know, just going off this, this offseason, and you and I were talking about before, 
that uh, you know when there's not activity on social media, there are fans out there that think that nothing's going on with the program, right? Um, you know, because you didn't hear a whole lot of talk on the offensive coordinator position, there was fans saying Carl Durrell's doing nothing to you know get an offensive coordinator. Of course he was. <laughs> you know, he just wasn't. Nobody was out there saying, "Hey, everybody, we're interviewing this guy." You know, um, so yeah, I, I think the activity matters, especially in recruiting. Uh, I don't think it matters in a coaching search, uh, but it does in recruiting. You know, and when you've got that, not only does it matter to the fans, but I think that it, it resonates with the players. You know, um, these young players want to see a guy that's exciting, and I think that's what you know what people gravitated to with Darren Schiaffarini was he was a guy that uh, hey by the end when he wasn't uh, you know doing well offensively they would like to make fun of all the fire emojis but you know when when things are going well they love the fire emojis right uh, that's what he brought was a little juice to that recruiting and so Mike Sanford's done a little bit of that so these other guys you know uh, we're seeing some of that with some of these other guys as well I think with the Mike Sanford hiring they could have done a little bit better from a PR standpoint to get ahead of that story a little bit I, I get why you want to be quiet about a coaching search up until a certain point, but there is that stretch when they're going through the background search that takes longer at CU than other places for, for whatever reason. But yeah. had people reached out to you and I and started to talk a little bit about what Carl Durrell talked about of why they're hiring this guy, I think that would have mattered a little bit. Yeah. When it came out of left field, People were going to react negatively because he was just like, oh, by Minnesota. I think in that circumstance, they hurt themselves by being as shut off as they were towards us. I, I think another thing, I agree with you, but I think another thing that hurts is, you know, when when there's an opening, you know, when Darren Chivrini's fired, uh, I came up with a list, you know, you probably came up with a list, the fans come up with their list of guys that they want to see. Mike Sanford wasn't on any of those lists. And so... Um, I think fans over time, over the, the course of a coaching search, they'll do their research. The, you know, I'm talking about the diehard fans that, uh, that you and I you know, talk to a lot. Um, they're going to do their research. They're going to get to know uh, somewhat and start to like a particular candidate. That happened with a Brandon Marion, right? Um, Mike Sanford's name didn't pop up until all of a sudden he was the guy. They didn't have a chance to get to know him and warm up to the idea of him being the coordinator. Um, I've seen more so in the last few weeks – uh, you know, some fans say, no, the more I look at Sanford, I like it a little bit better. They didn't have that chance before he was hired. Yeah. So I think when he's initially hired, they're like, well, wait a minute. We never thought of this guy, you know, and so they're, they're mad about it. And so I, I totally understand the, the mixed reactions to that hire. Um, I still think let's give it a shot here and um, see if they mesh, they mesh well together. But I agree with you that, you know, <laughs> for years, CRC, CU's had some PR issues with the way they've done some things right um you go back to some of the coach firings and you know w some of the more awkward press conferences were <laughs> were uh, were coach firing so you know cu sometimes doesn't uh you know done great on the pr aspect of it but they could have got ahead of things like that and and frankly i know that you know i've heard that we may this may change here in the next couple of weeks but you know give it let mike Sanford talk to the media you know why hasn't that happened yet you know um, that would have been a good thing to do, especially during all this bad transfer portal news. Throw something good out there. You know, let the fans get to know Mike Sanford a little bit. As of right now, he's a you know a voiceless guy that nobody's heard talk yet. So um, I don't know why they haven't put him out there. And I know that we will at some point, but that would have been a good move from CU in my in my point of view. Phil McGagan taking over that receivers room. 
pretty good resume, you know, coaching guys in the NFL for, yeah. for a while. Uh, any concerns there at all? No. I mean, that's one that, you know, it sounds like this last year he took some time off for some medical issues with family. Um, I, I, I think your initial thing is, okay, why was this guy not working you know, for a year. Um, when you read why, then it's like, okay, that's understandable. Uh, this is a guy that, uh, you know, he's, he's got great results. He's got some fire to him. I know some people have uh, found some uh, some videos of him from hard knocks, things like that. There's some fire to this guy. His receivers are going to block, apparently. Yes. These receivers are going to block. <laughs> <laughs> gonna block. Uh, and he's had, uh, you know, tremendous results. And, um, you know, Zay Jones from, uh, uh, what's the school where he was, where Zay Jones was at? Louisiana, remember Zay Jones? I can't remember that. He he was like he led the nation in in uh, receiving uh, the year that uh, that he worked with Phil McGagan. So uh, I mean they've got he's had success, and so I think that these guys uh, they're going to gravitate towards him. What was interesting to me, um, I know we're kind of mixing things, but it was interesting to me that uh, Dimitri Stanley went in the portal around the time they hired Phil McGagan, you know, because I thought Dimitri you know maybe could have uh, benefited from from having Phil there, but we'll see. At offensive line, Kyle Devan takes over. I reached out to, before coaching at Michigan this past year, he was at Arizona, and I reached out to our Arizona publisher, and he said, I really don't know what to tell you because it was pretty much a hot mess with Kevin Sumlin here. But the one thing he said is the players really liked him. Yeah, That's important at, at every position, but more so at offensive line. We saw what happens when the players don't like the offensive line coach. The, things get really ugly in a hurry at that position because yeah. – one of the things that William Vallejo said when he was the interim offensive line coach this past year is this isn't fun playing offensive line at this level. You have to put in a lot of work, and generally you don't get a whole lot of praise as an offensive lineman. So you really have to love the grind. And if you're going to enjoy that grind, you got to enjoy the guy that's barking in your ear every day. And it does sound like Kyle Devan will, will be that for this group. Yeah, and I think they need that. You know, um, you know, clearly we saw it a couple of years ago. Um, I'm I'm blanking on everybody's name this morning. <laughs> um, it gets it gets yes, some coffee in you. I know. Who, who's the the you know, line coach of Michigan State right now? Chris Kapolovich. Yes. See, I'm, that's an easy one. I don't know how I blanked on that for a second. The players here loved Coach Cap. Loved him. And everybody loved everybody Coach loved Cap. Him. I mean, he was one of my favorite guys. You know, the players loved him and they played for him. Uh, and so to go from Cap to Mitch Rodriguez, who, hey, sounds like he has, you know, when we got to know him a little bit, you know, sort of a fun personality in some ways. but the In play- small doses. In small doses, but the, the players didn't uh, gravitate towards him and they didn't like that. Um, and so Kyle Devan's a little bit different. I think one thing that's helped uh, maybe some fans uh, get to him is uh, there's a lot of videos out there of Kyle Devan. There's actually one that's uh, it's about 45, 50 minutes of you know Kyle you know breaking down. It's like at a coaching clinic thing he did remotely during the pandemic, where he's you know talking a lot about his techniques and everything. Um, I chatted with Travis Gray before he came up to Boulder. And he said, as soon as he heard that that was his coach, he goes, I sat down and watched that, you know, and, and got to know. He goes, I feel like I know his coaching style now. Um, th- I think that's big, you know, and there's hopefully there was other, other O-line that did that. But um, he, at the point that I talked to Travis Gray, he goes, I don't really know Kyle Devan, but based on that, I think I'm really going to like him. So um, it sounds like this is a young guy that's got some personality to him that these guys are going to uh, gravitate to, and I think that's huge. That helps you play better. We already talked a little bit about Fix Oto taking over the D-line. He's got that uh, NFL pedigree. Looks like he could still play in the league. 
connections to, to BYU so you can connect with the poly community, mm-hmm. LDS community as well. I, I, he t- checks a lot of the boxes yeah. uh, th- that you would like when hiring a coach. Yeah, I think that's a big hire for them. And, you know, I, I know that, you know, Brian Michalowski did a good job here. And, and that's the one guy from the staff from last year that I thought, man, it would have been nice to keep him because I, th- I thought he did a good job in recruiting, but then also just what he did with Carson Wells and Guy Thomas and Josh Gustav, I think he was having some good results. But um, you get a guy like Vic Ciotto that's got a good reputation, that's got some maybe some connections of in different areas, demographics like you mentioned, that's huge. When they got rid of Drew Wilson, I didn't really know how to react to that because I, yeah. I thought he did a pretty good job as a strength and conditioning coach. Then they hire Shan Turley and go, okay, well, that makes a lot of sense. Brian Michalowski, yeah, I'm with you. I thought he was a good coach, and he deserves a really good opportunity out there, mm-hmm. even at a Power 5 level. Uh, the amount of – the, his approach to recruiting really, really impressed me. And there were so many guys that didn't pick CU that said, no one did a better job recruiting me than Brian My- Michalowski. At the end of the day, yeah. if you don't land that recruit, it doesn't really matter. But the amount of uh, care that he – Put into that job with that group he really did care and is a really nice guy and, and I do hope that he finds a great opportunity he, he put his heart and soul into that right yeah. um, he's a guy that you know was not a player in college and you know he's kind of worked his way up and he's still a young guy I think he's got a bright future it's just not going to be here um, you know he's going to do he's going to do some pretty good things in coaching I think the most perplexing coaching situation that, that happened was Demetrius Martin leaving to Oregon and then Colorado goes and hires Oregon's former cornerbacks coach Rod Chance who uh, talked to both Minnesota uh, publisher and Oregon and they, they couldn't speak highly enough about what he does in terms of connecting with players but also recruiting uh, that, that, up, that might be up there as one one A, one B type of hire for them this offseason. Yeah, uh, you know the one thing with that is um, losing Demetrius Martin, uh, you know, probably directly led to losing Christian Gonzalez. So, you know, that's not a great trade-off. But um, I joked when uh, uh, Travis Dye went in the portal that maybe he'd be the player to be named later in that trade, <laughs> uh, Gonzalez and Martin for chance. But um, you know, it's interesting that uh, Martin left because it wasn't for a whole lot more money. You know, and CU, uh, you know, from what I understand, was willing to to match it. But um, you, know, you get Rod Chance, and he's had great success I mean the corners at Oregon have been pretty good uh you know and and he's had success there so uh there is some talk of uh you know another school maybe trying to poach him away already but uh you know right now he's here and I think that that's I don't know if it's necessarily an upgrade but it's not a downgrade like you mentioned coach Meade had moved around too so I I wasn't particularly surprised this is a sixth or seventh stop in the pac-12 yeah so i'm not and let, let's be honest where both programs are right now i mean that, yeah. that is a step up even if he's not making a ton more money uh that, that's a step up for a cornerbacks coach to go to oregon yeah and we've seen his son commit to oregon since then and maybe maybe that's what drove it was that his son wanted to go to oregon and, and martin you know said hey let's go coach my son so if you were going to grade all these hires and you include Sanford in there, and we, we did talk critically about uh, some of the, his past. Is this a B type of situation if you're going to give a grade? For the whole staff? For the whole staff. Well, the other one we didn't talk, to, talk about was Clay Patterson. That's right. Uh, yep. The tight ends coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, if, you know, we'll talk about him real quick. Um, 
I was surprised by that because I thought with Brian Cook uh, being under contract that next year, they wouldn't make a change. To me, that looks more like Mike Sanford wants to bring in a guy that he knows. What do you think? Yeah, I, they went four and eight. And Carl Durrell said yeah. that's that's unacceptable. Not that yeah. the tight end was this glaring issue on the team last year, but Clay Patterson, he hasn't recruited a ton of blue chip guys, but the guys that he's brought to Minnesota and the tight ends he inherited have gotten a lot better under him. Yeah. He's got more of kind of a substantial history coaching at a power five level. And if he, if he proves to be a really good recruiter, maybe you go away a little bit from this strictly positional recruiting stuff. I know they're doing some right. regional stuff this time of year with guys going, assistant coaches going to different high schools, but if Clay Patterson proves that he's got all that energy and recruiting trail, maybe you, you hand off more responsibility. He's got history in Oklahoma and he's recruited Texas, some of those areas. Maybe you, you give him a little bit more of a load from a recruiting standpoint, but from what I understand is they really liked him at Minnesota, but he wasn't next in line to be a coordinator, and that's what he wants to do. And having that passing game coordinator tag here at mm-hmm. CU kind of allows him to bolster his resume a little bit. Yeah, and, and also we've talked about recruiting juice. Um, he probably brings a little bit more of that than Brian Cook did. Um, not saying that Cook wasn't doing – you as you mentioned, just because what you're doing on social media doesn't mean that's what you're doing in recruiting – but he didn't. He wasn't out there bringing a lot of juice recruiting, and so fans see that. Um, so I think Clay Patterson probably an upgrade. I'm not sure that's one that's made um, if Mike Sanford's not um, here, you know, because I'm not sure they would have changed tight ends coach. Uh, but they did, and so overall, you know, you ask like what the overall grade is here. I would probably give it a B for what uh, Carl Durrell did with the staff this offseason. What about you? Yeah, I, I give it a solid B in. The thing keeping me from giving it a B plus or an A minus or even an A is just how dynamic is this offense going to be with Mike Sanford? And yep. again, it's going to get better because it has to. You know, the quarterback play and offensive line play—you'd be hard pressed to have a, a worse performance from those two very, very important groups. Right. Like you had in 2021, so they'll get better. But I wonder—I I think the floor is pretty solid with Mike Sanford. Where is the ceiling at? Right. You know, how dynamic could this offense be with him? Yeah, and I'm, I'm the same way. That's, that's what's stopping me from giving this a higher grade is Mike Sanford and looking at the numbers in recent years that, you know, he hasn't – you know, his offenses have regressed. I mean, they've scored fewer points than they did the year before, six years in a row. We've seen quarterbacks put up worse numbers um, either under him or under year two of him. So that's where I kind of hesitate – Again, as I said before, not that he can't succeed here. I want to see it first, but that's what's preventing me from giving that maybe that A grade right now. I think overall, this is a much better uh, coaching staff than uh, than we've seen with Carl Durrell. So uh, that's why I give it a pretty good grade. I think that this is going to be the best staff he's had. There was some buzz with Brendan Marion possibly being a candidate for that coordinator job. You've reported that he was not, you know, one yeah. of the finalists there. Let's just, for the sake of conversation, say he gets hired. That, that would be really exciting from a potential standpoint, but that could have been a huge bust too. Yeah, because at that point you're hiring a guy that's never been a coordinator, you know, uh, at least on not this level. Uh, and so you're rolling the dice a little bit. And so 
every coaching hire you're rolling the dice in some way, right? With Sanford, you're rolling the dice that he is a better fit and that he's going to have better results than he did, you know, at Minnesota or you know previous stops. So Minnesota uh, did win eight games. They did year, win eight games. <laughs> yes, uh, they weren't bad. You know, um, it's just that uh, you know he maybe doesn't uh, bring he didn't bring the excitement that a Brendan Marion would have, but maybe he brings better results. He did have a good result in Folsom Field. Yes, he did. <laughs> well, yes. That was one of the ugliest games that we've covered in our time here. And uh, yeah, But even with that, I mean, it wasn't, much, it wasn't as much the Minnesota offense uh, as it was the Minnesota defense that day. And um, you know, not to downplay what Mike Sanford did, but, uh, I mean, that one really got away from the buffs because of the offense in that one. I mean, it was a pretty – wasn't it 13-0? for a little while and then all of a sudden the offense had a couple turnovers and you know the defense was on the field like every play of the third quarter or something like that so uh yeah it kind of got away from them but hey mike sanford uh, is one and oh i believe at Folsom field with a 30 to nothing victory so <laughs> give him some credit quarterback maddox cop wide receiver rj sneed offensive lineman tommy brown and edge player chance main are the guys that they've brought in from the portal so far again we've talked about the fact that there's going to be another surge of guys entering the portal after spring ball so there's still going to be guys they bring in there we talked about positions of need what are your thoughts just on this initial group of guys coming in all four of these guys part of the part of the mix here for the spring yeah you know it's trying to find you know figure out who's gonna be the difference makers right and um, I guess number one for me would be RJ Sneed because you know you lose Brendan Rice Dimitri Stanley that's a guy that uh I mean, he led Baylor in receiving in 2020 and was our number two receiver this year. He's probably a number one or number two here at Colorado. Uh, so that's the top one. And then Tommy Brown, you know, I mean, he might be number one on that list. But, you know, he's a guy that he's been a backup. And we've seen this before, right? We've seen guys come in all the way back to, um, you know, Shane Callahan from Auburn. You know, he played for a national – he was on a national title team at Auburn, was a backup, came here. And, uh, you know, he never really became that, like, uh, you know, all-conference type starter here. Uh, we saw uh, last year with Max Ray. You know, people got excited that, oh, my gosh, there's this guy from Ohio State coming. We need a tackle. And uh, he was injured but didn't even play that great when he was healthy. Uh, didn't really pan out. They've got to have Tommy Brown pan out better uh, than those guys. And um, I mean, Tommy Brown has to be their best offensive lineman, I think. I mean, he, he, he's got to be a starter. He's got to make an impact right away. Um, the bottom line is, Adam, they've got to have a better portal year than they did last year. Yeah. The good thing with Brown, too, is he brings some versatility. He started at guard in a game for Alabama this past year, but he certainly got the, the size and length to play tackle, and he yeah. practiced some there as well at Alabama. So you like that he could play either of those spots, just kind of depending. You know, what does Jake Wiley look like after getting that experience last year? Yeah. Because it wasn't pretty. I mean, I had other writers come up to me in the press box during the CU game going, why is number 60 out there starting? Well, <laughs> they didn't really have a choice there. But he got a lot of experience. And especially with O-line, progress is not always linear. I mean, you saw Frank Phillip have a really good 2020. And then I know the shoulder injury probably played into the fact that he didn't play as well last year. But right. guys can bounce, you know, both positive and negative in terms of their development. But as you get experience you should get better and so we'll see what jake wiley looks like and, and frank phillip having you know some time to fully get over that injury 
maybe they do need Tommy Brown at one of the guard spots uh, with, with Kutch moving on. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see where he fits in. Yeah, you know, and you know, I did ask somebody after you, he came aboard, and they said they see him as a guard uh, as of right now. So um, I guess he replaces uh, Kari Kutch right off the bat, right off the bat. And if you got Kutch and uh, Casey Roddick, you know, maybe that's a solid guard duo, but. They still haven't addressed the tackle issue, you know, this offseason. And I guess that's, you know, my bigger thing right now is they haven't really addressed that. Um, other than, uh, I guess, hoping that Frank Phillip and Jake Wiley get better and uh, you've got some of these young guys that can, uh, that can step in maybe and give them, some, give them a run for it. But, you know, Frank Phillip probably would have been the left tackle without the shoulder injury because he couldn't – it just hurt him too much to play left tackle. If he's healthy, I would imagine, you know, maybe he slides back over to left um, – I think Jake Wiley can still be a good player. He just really struggled being that first-year starter at left tackle. I know you watched Last Chance U. Do you remember Chance Main from that show? I do. Um, you know, I, I want to go back and watch a little bit more now that he's a buff. Uh, but I do remember um, seeing him on there, and you know, I it was a few seasons ago, so I don't I don't remember everything. But uh, you know, and it took me a minute to realize, oh yeah, that's the kid from that show. Um, but I do remember him, and uh, you know, he was. Uh, you know, a high motor guy, and um, you know he was, a, he was an interesting personality. I had a chance to chat with him. Uh, I think he was on his drive, literally, uh, from Kansas. Uh, you know, had a chance to talk with him, and um, super nice kid. And yeah. you know, this is a guy that's kind of been doubted a lot uh, up to this point, and has uh, has always strived to prove people wrong. And you know, people look at the offers. I mean, Florida State was pretty close uh, to you know offering him, but. Um, I don't remember the name of the kid, but uh, there was another one they wanted first. And Florida State told him flat out, look, if this guy commits, we're going to go with him. That guy committed. So um, he was really close to going to Florida State. Uh, I do remember from Last Chance U, but I'm going to have to go back and, uh, and watch and, uh, and, and see a little bit more. He's definitely an all-bus team type guy. Yeah. He definitely uh, throws up some weight in, in, in the weight room. Like you said, just a great personality. I think if you – only brought in transfers that came from incarnate word you would rightfully get a lot more criticism right one guy at a position on the edge that's you still have some decent guys coming back there especially with Devin grant showed at the Mm -hmm. very end of last season guy thomas coming back he doesn't necessarily need to be an all-conference guy but he certainly brings in the type of attitude that you really want to bring into that locker room yeah and one of his best friends is uh is jamar montgomery you know they were uh, at independence college together one thing i like about chance main is what one thing we've seen with the transfers they brought in last year was that most of them were backups at power five schools that were just looking for playing time that's what cu lost right was a lot of those types of guys uh, maddox cop was a backup that wasn't playing tommy brown was a backup that wasn't playing um, R.J. Snead is a guy that is proven. Chance Main's a guy that's proven. It might be at a lower level, but he's at least played Division One college football. And so that's what I like about Chance Main. And, and say so he's maybe a little bit ahead of some of these guys they've brought in over the last two years because they've brought in a bunch of transfers that haven't played. With Maddox Cop coming in, looks the part, was an Elite 11 finalist, redshirted at Houston, more of a question mark at this point, but you like some of the the things that he did at the high school level, and he was a CU recruit, one of their top priorities, yeah. but ended up going to Houston initially. Yeah, I, I like that addition. Uh, we'll see where he fits in this competition. It's going to be a very interesting quarterback competition. Um, kind of interesting, by the way, that Maddox has got 
all of his brothers play basketball, and all of them have transferred. You know, that's kind of an interesting <laughs> scenario there. Uh, a little side note. But um, this quarterback competition is going to be really interesting because I think Maddox does look at the part. Uh, you know, he's – I think he could be a starter here, but, you know, J.T. Shrout's a guy that we thought might have been the starter last year, and he's back. You know, Brendan Lewis, I expect to be a better quarterback now than he was last year. He's back. And then, you know, you got Drew Carter and you got some of these other guys. And, you know, um, you know, Owen McCown, it, it probably takes pressure off of him. You know, they're not going to need him. Uh, you know, Oki Salavea, you know, we'll see where he ends up. Maybe he ends up that safety position we were talking about before. Yeah, uh, he was out at the All Poly Bowl and didn't play any quarterback. Yeah. He actually played some cornerback there. Okay. He practiced some at linebacker and, and safety as well. Yeah. Based on what I was told, is he's not quite as big as what he claims to be. I think he claims to be, what, like 205, something like that. Yeah. They said he was a little thinner than that. So I do think that he would be more of a safety or a corner at this point than uh, in, in the box type of guy but yeah he'll get a shot at quarterback but I think most of us are assuming he'll move to defense at some point yeah I, I expect that as well but at least for those other guys I think Maddox is, an, is a very interesting addition to this quarterback room uh, that's gonna be a fun competition in the spring I know JT um, doesn't sound like he'll be fully uh, participating but he'll be doing some things but um, I think it could be more of the more intriguing uh, quarterback battles we've seen in a little bit mentioned that Guy Thomas is coming back and talked about Chase Penry reaffirming his commitment. And then we saw guys, Brady Russell, Montana Lamonius Craig, Shrout, Brandon Lewis, Drew Carter, Ty Robinson, Alls, all those guys kind of responded to that, reaffirming their commitment to see you on, on social media. I guess at this point you say the guys that are going to be on this team in, in 2022 have, you know, they've seen so many of their teammates leave. They've bought in. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's still a core group of guys that uh, are fully bought in, but there there's going to be more attrition after spring ball too. So this is not a set roster at this point. No, it's not. I, the guys we're talking about, I think, are going to be back. I mean, they're going to be pretty well set. Um, and I think it's great to see. I mean, the Buffs need some of these guys step up and say, "Hey, you know, I'm with this program." Uh, you know, fans and probably you and I, you know, think sometimes, "Where's this leadership going to come from?" And I would look at some of these guys we've seen uh, step up right now. I mean, I think Montana Lamonius Craig is showing some leadership skills. And J.T. Shrout, you know, we'll see if he becomes the starting quarterback or not. But that guy looks like a big-time leader, you know, that he can be, you know, a, a good leader for this program. Brady Russell, you know, I think we've seen that over the years, that, uh, that he's that type of guy. Uh, Brendan Lewis has shown a little bit of that, you know, over the, on social media this offseason as well. Uh, Chase Penry is another one that maybe he's a leader type. So I think – the, maybe the good thing that's coming out of all this is that maybe some leadership is developing and maybe we're going to see a roster that, yes, there's going to be some more movement, but maybe this roster bonds and comes together because of all this and they, and they feel like, hey, it's us against the world or you know, we, we've got each other. Uh, maybe this helps this team. Between Twitter chat, message boards, we're, we're dealing with CU fans on a daily basis. It's been a struggle this offseason, again, because – Fan is short for fanatic. They're, they're going to live a more bipolar lifestyle in terms of following this team than, than we can. We're not afforded that opportunity. Uh, it, it's not a good look for us to, to, to live within that. How, how have you dealt with that th this offseason with so many guys hit, hitting the portal and the sky is falling and then a day later we hired this guy, Carl Durrell, 
is hiring a great staff. So now we're excited and back and forth. It's been really has been a roller coaster. Well, having the holidays helped is where you can get away from it for, for a little bit. Um, Not much, though, because these guys were hitting the right, portal seemingly the portal. every day. I know. Uh, it, yeah, it's, it's been tough, and I, and I get it. I understand these fans, and you know, some of them have you know, not only poured their heart but some money into mm-hmm. this program, and so I get it. Um, and you and I, you know, we're not pouring money into this program. We just cover it, and um, you know, we can take a different perspective. So uh, for me, I've you know me, I've always tried to be a little, little more on the optimistic side. Um, I don't think everything that's gone on this offseason is great. I'm not going to paint that picture. Uh, but I don't think it's a train wreck. I don't think it's, uh, you know, really that bad. I think that this is a, an improved team right now than it was, you know, when they walked off the field in Salt Lake City in November. I think that this program is in better shape than it was, even, even with some of these guys they've lost. So uh, for me, you ask how I try to deal with it, it's you know, I try to rein that back a little bit and, and point that out that, you know, I think there's a method here that's going that they have here that they're trying to build. And yes, so there's probably some unexpected things that have happened, you know, losing Christian Gonzalez, maybe losing Brendan Rice, Jerry Broussard. Those are maybe things they didn't want to happen or expect to happen. But um, I think they've this program has dealt with it um, in, in a good way. And I think that overall, uh, this program is in better shape. And, you know, this is another topic maybe I'll just mention it briefly but them rolling out the NIL exchange last week is a big step too um, so they're doing things uh, um, to try to help rein in some of that a little bit but I, I just try to rein in the fans a little bit how about you I try to some days it's just easier than others you know you've yeah. got four kids we've got three 10 11 and 13 and Sometimes my patience isn't what it needs to be based on real life, and then it bleeds over into work, and it's like, okay, sometimes my patience is better some days than others. And uh, I I do try to ignore some of the negativity, uh, but it's tough. You know, I I snapped back at somebody on Twitter last week. I I guess I was just one of those (laughs) days that I didn't have a lot of the the patience in the tank. But I think there's a misconception about our job, and – our job is to get information, relay it on to CU fans. Mm-hmm. To get that information, we can't be jerks. And not that we would want to anyways. And yeah. it's one thing to not be around these people because they're actual human beings that you're dealing with on a day-to-day basis. And if you don't have that connection, you might tend to be a little bit more negative. But Carl Durrell doesn't like dealing with the media, but – We've talked. He's a good human being. Yeah. You know, Mel Tucker created a lot of hype. I'm not so sure about him as a human being. Right. You know? And so there, there is that human element of it that we deal with. And we're always asked, why don't you ask tougher questions? It's like, well, okay, if you want me just, just to be a flat-out jerk one day at a press conference, that's not going to solve anything. Carl Drell's right. is going to shut down. Yeah. And so we need to deal with him many times throughout the year almost on a daily basis during the football season and so we're trying to get information and so that's that's the part of it that I get it you want us to to you know hold hold these guys feet to the fire a little bit more but at the same time we're we're beat guys we're not the the columnist that's going to come by and do the drive-by hit you know on on, on these guys yeah and and I think that we've we've seen over this over this uh, tenure with Carl Durrell that sometimes it doesn't take much for him to to shut down or, or get a little salty, you know. Um, you know, fans pointed out it wasn't that big of a deal to me, but on signing day, you know, when he sort of you know got a little salty when I was asking about 
some roster things, you know. Um, that was kind of an odd thing for him to, you know, get frustrated with me about, you know. It didn't bother me, but, you know, a lot of fans latched onto it. If that's going to make him salty, imagine if we're, you know, attacking him. And I don't feel like there's any need to attack. I mean, you know, these tough questions that people you know, talk about, you know, wanting answered, things like, uh, you know, we talk about they want to know the vision of the program. He said it. <laughs> you know, go listen to what he says. And, you know, he says it. He lays it out there. Um, you may not agree with it, and maybe you don't remember him saying it, but he has said it, right? Um, you know, he mentioned it at introductory press conference. This is what I want my offense to look like. He mentioned at the end of the season, this is what I want my offense to look like. It was the same thing. So these tough questions, uh, you know, he does answer it. You know, with all the transfers leaving, the people said, you know, how come they haven't spoken up? Like, <laughs> fans, do you not see that we, we just had stories on they just spoke last week? You know, Rick George and Carl Durrell just spoke last week. I, I was surprised how many people were, you know, within a week of uh, that press conference uh, with us, fans were saying, why, why has Rick George been silent? Like, he hasn't. He did a press conference with us just a few days ago. Here's the story. Here's the links to it. Oh, okay, I didn't see that. <laughs> you know, and so sometimes I'm surprised by some of that. I know they can't see everything, but, you know, these guys haven't hit from it. You know, they're not going to be out there talking all the time. And frankly, nationally, maybe I don't pay attention to all the other all the programs as closely as CU. Of course, I don't. Uh, but how many coaches and ads are are standing up and, and addressing players leaving their program? I don't think that's a common thing. I think you just kind of you know you address it by you know making some additions to the portal. Um, I don't think it's common that, that that they're sitting there talking about the guys leaving the program. Um, and they did talk about it. You know, maybe some of the guys hadn't left yet, but. Uh, you know, I think you asked the question about, you know, what do you say to fans that, you know, they're, they're losing some guys here. And, you know, they talked about it. You know, it may not be the answer everybody wanted, but they did talk about it. Yeah, and Carl Drill does need to get a little bit better with us. Not that he's bad, but like you said, on signing day, got a little bit annoyed at some personnel questions. Uh, I think it's tough because we're the ones answering the questions. We're in the room yeah. that coaches sometimes forget that, I'm not just talking to these guys that are in the room. I, this is my way to engage with fans. And fans can be, like I said, bipolar and, and, and rightfully frustrated. I mean, they went four and eight. So there, there's a reason that fans are frustrated with yeah. 100%. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you need to use us as a vehicle to do a better job engaging with fans, even if it's not your favorite part of the job, just knowing that it, it really is important. And, and I think that, that Carl could get better about that and show uh, you know, a little bit more of personality in those settings. Yeah, I think overall fan engagement is probably uh, one of the bigger things Carl Thoreau lacks. Um, he loves coaching football, period. Um, but you've got to be more than that um, in this day and age. And you know, I think that's one thing that you know, fans were so irritated about and so bitter about when Mel Tucker left is that he got fans excited. You know, and they went five and seven with him. And they went five and seven. It was it was one game better than what this last year was. You know, um, it, but it was a more exciting five and seven. But he did things like he was at the men's basketball games wearing a Chauncey Billups jersey. You know, I, I believe he bought pizza for the the C unit one time um, at a basketball game. He's he was more engaged fan. He understood. He always used to say that you know I've got to deal with offense, defense, special teams, and media. You know, those were the priorities. Uh, Carl Durrell acts like the media is like <laughs> the biggest enemy to him. Um, you know, he needs to be more engaged uh, from a fan perspective. I think he's a good guy. I think he's just not an, an, you know, an outward personality like that. 
But I think it would be huge if he showed up to some men's basketball games. You know, I told somebody at CU, like, you know, I think it would be a good thing for, for Carl Durrell um, for some fan engagement at one of these next one of these up, upcoming men's basketball games at half at halftime. Take five minutes and walk out on on the court with your six new assistants and say, "Hey, fans, here's my new assistants," and just introduce them and say, "Come join us at spring ball." You know, something like that. Five minutes and then walk off the court. Uh, that would that would be huge. You know, um, to me, it'd be huge. Uh, but you're right. You know, when you're talking to us, you know, Carl's got to. Realize he's talking to the fans and not just to Adam Munster Tiger or Brian Howell or you know whoever. And if you win ten games, then I guess nobody really cares. But yeah. until you get to that point, you, you you can't be shut off. And a lot of times, Carl Durrell says really insightful, good stuff. Yes, it's sometimes the monotone delivery of it. I think that makes puts people to sleep instead of really getting the fact that he's saying some good stuff at times. Yeah, he he gives some really good answers a lot of times and. You know, even when in that signing day presser, when he got frustrated with me, you know, and I asked a follow-up question, he gave a really good answer. When I asked, "What are you looking for in an offensive coordinator?" He gave a really good answer, you know, and you know, he just gets that frustrated there for a second, um, but he does give good answers. But it is sort of the delivery, and fans see that and say he has no fire. I don't know about you, but I've heard from a lot of players that he's got a lot more fire than he shows, you know, in front yeah. of the camera. That he's very energetic. You know, um, you know, in the locker room, things like that. I've talked to recruits that I'm sure you asked the same thing, but in some of this signing class, I'm like, well, what is Carl Durrell like in the living room? And, you know, most of them have said, hey, he's, he's pretty good. I mean, I, I like him. He's a good guy. My parents like him. And so, yeah, I don't, he's not this dud <laughs> that fans see. He's maybe not this overly, you know, overt personality, but uh, I think he's an engaging guy with the right people. Yeah. We've got an hour on the show and no CU players have hit the portal. So that, <laughs> that's good. Is that a record? <laughs> <laughs> Some days recently, that would be a record for that day. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but uh, after this, we're going to head over to the sink. You've never been to the sink in Boulder. I wouldn't say it's life-changing food, but it's, it's an institution here in Boulder. It'll be good for you to, to knock that off your, your checklist of places to go. It's funny because there's been a couple times that you know, we've mentioned places I've gone, uh, that I haven't been to yet. It's almost like I'm a, an outsider that I just moved here. <laughs> Fans are appalled that I haven't been to some of these places. But to defend myself, I don't live in Boulder. And so usually most of the time when I come to Boulder, it's to go to practice or a game and, and, and go back home. So I'm not eating a lot in Boulder. So I did know. get you the dark horse, though. You got yeah. uh, Jiffy Burger. So I can't remember. Did, did you like that? I liked it. You know, it was a good burger. It was – I would go back and have it. Okay. Um, so I'm looking forward to trying the sink. And, um, yeah, it's – it's funny because I'll have opposing beat writers asking me, you know, where should I eat in Boulder? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> Jimmy John's? <laughs> my that, my answer used to always be the Med, and unfortunately that closed down. There's been some rumors they might reopen. Have you ever been to the Med? I never Had went to the Med. Rushed? I have done the Pasta Jays thing, so I know Pasta Jays. I've been there. Very polarizing Very Pasta polarizing. Jays. I like Pasta Jays. Uh, my wife and I actually went there uh, on our anniversary this last year. We went, did a little uh, paddle boarding and then Pasta Jays. So, okay. you know, I have been there. Uh, but so I'm not totally you know out of the loop as to what Boulder's got. Well, I think we uh, have talked long enough on this podcast. Maybe we can reconvene and do another collaboration before spring ball kind of go position by position. I, I, I think I wouldn't think we're going to get portal additions at this point because the cutoff for them to enroll for the spring semester is done. Yeah. So I think we have a pretty good idea. But who knows? 
maybe a, a couple guys will enter the portal uh, that, that we don't foresee at this point. But uh, there, there's still a lot to talk about. Yeah, there really is. And, you know, I, you know, you and I kind of agreed before this that maybe let's wait a little bit to see that roster settle. Uh, there might be a, a couple moves here and there. But um, I expect this is pretty much the roster. But um, I'm looking forward to maybe letting it settle. <laughs> and yeah. then right before spring ball starts at the end of March, uh, we kind of go through it. Because, you know, it'll also be nice to see, you know, what they add at that next signing day here in a couple weeks. All right, Brian, it was good catching up with you, and uh, let's head over to the sink. Sounds good. All right, and thanks to all of you for tuning in.